Hey, what's up and welcome back, storytellers. I am so happy you've tuned in to today's episode. To keep up with all things 88 Cups of Tea, make sure to follow us on Instagram at 88 Cups of Tea. My team and I love posting fun Instagram stories, announcing new podcast episodes, featured articles and essays, along with our favorite quotes from those episodes and written pieces. And my favorite part about Instagram is that we have story takeovers from some of your favorite guests that we've had on the show. We even have an Instagram story takeover by today's guest, Christine Riccio. So make sure you head over to Instagram.com slash 88 Cups of Tea to check out the fun stories that she'll be posting. If you're enjoying our show, I have a super quick favor to ask. If you haven't yet hit the subscribe button and submitted a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to do so. Not only do I love reading your reviews, but this community is truly something so special and your reviews give new listeners a glimpse of what it's like to be a part of 88 Cups of Tea. The more ratings and reviews that we get, I hear that it really helps with the algorithm to allow new listeners to find us and ultimately feel less alone in their creative journeys by joining our community. Thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you to each and every one of you who already took the time to do so. I so appreciate you. We celebrated our four-year anniversary here at 88 Cups of Tea and set aside something special just for our Patreon family. Four patrons won the chance to interview for a mini segment that will be stitched to the end of our upcoming podcast episodes. The first mini segment that we had featured Melissa Bobie, and her interview was recently attached to Jason Reynolds' episode. So if you missed that, be sure to check back in on his episode to listen to Melissa's conversation. For today's episode, we have the lovely Sarah Adams from our 88 Cups of Tea community, Sarah and I chat about her novel she's currently working on called Whispers and the inspiration behind it. We discuss tips on finding the time and motivation to write during busy times and the value of leaning on your support system. Make sure to hang around at the end of the show to hear Sarah's interview. Now on to today's conversation. We have YouTuber and New York Times bestselling author Christine Riccio. Her YouTube channel, Poland Bananas Books, has nearly half a million book-loving subscribers. She makes comedic book reviews, vlogs, sketches, and writing videos chronicling the creation of her own novel, Again But Better. She's also one of the three YouTubers behind Booksplosion, which is YouTube's longest-running book club. In our conversation, we talk about Christine's journey to becoming a New York Times bestselling author and one of the most influential booktubers. She gives us a behind the scenes look into how she started her YouTube career, her writing and filming process, and how she works around her busy schedule. Further into our conversation, we talk about tangible actions you can take to shift into a writing mindset and the importance of self-care. She shares advice on growing your platform and reaching your writing goals and we discuss her novel again, but better. Now let's dive right in. Hey, storytellers. Oh my gosh, y'all are gonna be so excited. I know you all have been loving this guest's work on YouTube and you've even requested for her to be on the podcast for quite a while. And guess what? Today we have Christine Riccio on the show with us today. Christine, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Christine, I always love just kicking it off, really rewinding all the way back to your farthest memory of when you first fell in love with storytelling. 
Yeah. So I remember being excited about reading from like the very first time we read one of these books in, I think, first grade where they had like grade levels on them and there was like one or two words on each page. And when I got home, I was like, mom, we have to go to Barnes and Noble or whatever the bookstore was and get some of these books that I know how to read that have like these levels on them. So we went to the store and I got this book about a fox in a box and I read it to my mom and I was so proud and so excited. And from then on, I mean, whenever we could go to a bookstore, I'd want to go to a bookstore and get books. It was my favorite thing to do. I was obsessed with the fact that I could read. (laughs) In third grade, I remember they gave us the opportunity, like it was a big project to write a story. And then they had all our stories published in these little like hardcover notebook booklets. (gasps) And it was the most exciting thing. And then we got to illustrate them ourselves, which is not my forte. So it was pretty bad. <laughs> but I A for effort, I so though. Proud. <laughs> that is awesome. Also, huge props to your school, your third grade teacher for even encouraging that and just making you feel ownership of your work. Even if you if you are your own worst critic with the illustration part, at least like you are able to feel like what it was like to create your own work. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that says so much. And there's not every kid has that opportunity in their schooling system. So your mom, I'm assuming, was super encouraging at the time. It was like, all right, let's do this. Did she add to the love or were you very self-motivated and you were basically dragging your mom around? She was encouraging because she saw how like excited I was about the whole ordeal. She didn't read herself. So that wasn't really where I think I got so excited. My Nana was always reading and my Nana's like my second mom. She, you know, was always babysitting us and always had a book on her. And I remember her telling me how great it was to read. And once I could read, I remember her saying like, isn't it amazing being able to read the signs? And I was like, yes, it is. I can do it. (laughs) And I'm so excited to read books. That makes sense as to why then you ended up starting your own YouTube channel that promotes reading and the love of reading. So before we get there, though, so this is like we ended at first third grade around there. Yeah. And then from there onwards, was it a consistent love? Because you know how some people kind of fall in love and they kind of fall out of love or, or they get really yeah. busy with school. Get So like for me, I got so caught up with just trying to not get bullied and try to blend in. So Mm -hmm. I kind of like, you know, books were my escape. But at the same time, I ended up forgetting about reading for quite a few years, like middle school, going into high school, fell in love with reading again, college years, funny enough, Twilight, Uh right? I think Twilight for like most people. Mm -hmm. So for you, was it very consistent for you? Well, I mean, in third grade, something magical happened. The librarian read Harry Potter out loud to us. And I instantly fell in love. She read the Sorting Hat chapter and I was enamored immediately and went home and I was like, I need the Harry Potter books, mom. So she went out and got me the Harry Potter books, but she just got the third book. Like she saw the third book and bought it for me and didn't realize oh my it was God, a series. No. Yeah. And so I tried to read that book and I didn't get it. I was like, this isn't the same as what the librarian was reading. And it doesn't make any sense. 
So I tabled Harry Potter for a bit and I fell in love with Roald Dahl. Yes, Roald Dahl. Yes. Big Friendly Giant. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Um, and the, my first one was Mr. Fox. Oh my gosh. What is his name? F- Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes, yes. And The Glass Elevator, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And then in fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher read The Witches out loud to us. And I loved that so much. I read that book over and over again. And then I found out that my mom had gotten the wrong Harry Potter. And that's when <laughs> we went out and got the like one, two, and then I read three. And that was a whole <laughs> phenomenon. I've always loved reading, but I got into a rut in high school, just kind of reading the same books over and over again that I loved. So I was always super, super excited for the next Harry Potter release, but I didn't necessarily know where to look. Like Dan Brown's books, Rose while I was in high school. And so I found the Da Vinci Code and then I was like, I love Dan Brown. So in addition to my Harry Potter rereads constantly, I added Dan Brown into the mix. And for a long time, that's all I read because I would buy a book at Barnes and Noble that I was hoping to be good in high school. And then I wouldn't like it and I'd end up putting it down and being like, I'd rather just reread Harry Potter right now. (laughs) I was obsessed with Harry Potter as well. I feel like the whole world fell in love with Harry Potter. But here's the thing. You said you started the first time you fell in love with the series was in third grade. Is that considered really early, right, for reading Harry Potter books? Like, that means you were super advanced with your reading level. Or or am I just remembering it incorrectly? Because I was, I think, a lot older when I first read it when it first came out. Like, what was the age group? Do you know? It's marketed as a children's book. So I feel like a lot easier to read. But they definitely do have a lot of big words in them. And I definitely couldn't pronounce you know, her, my one for a very long time. I think <laughs> I, it took until the movies for me to realize yes. that I was saying it wrong. And I called Cirrus, Cirrus instead of Sirius. Her, my own. Like I, I was convinced if it wasn't her, my one, it was her, my own. <laughs> and I was like, who would name their daughter for my own? That's hilarious because I didn't even realize about the pronunciation until you jogged my memory. I'm like, oh my God, I totally thought it was Hermione yeah. like growing up. So that's so funny. Okay, then when you ended up, so now high school time, that's when you had the Da Vinci Code. And then from there, were you able to find like your love and were you able to stumble across a place where you could find books that you would actually gravitate towards? So it wasn't till... The summer going into freshman year of college, I listened to, of course, I listened to MuggleCast and I listened to PotterCast (laughs) all the time at work after school. And they started talking about this book, Twilight. And I saw it on my lunch break when I was working that summer at Target. And I was like, oh, this is that random book they're talking about. Maybe I should try it. And I picked it up. And of course, fell headfirst into <laughs> Twilight obsession. And I, it was that summer that Breaking Dawn came out. So I you know, raced through those books. I think I had just, I timed it. So I finished Eclipse right before oh Breaking Dawn came out. And Genius. I bought Breaking Dawn the day of. And then I learned about young adult. Like YA wasn't on my radar at all. And I think, you know, it really wasn't that big until Twilight. And then there was this boom in the YA market for 
you know, new YA books. And so from then on, I was just, you know, I listened to Twilight podcasts and some of them would read something together every month in the YA world. And that's how I found the Mortal Instruments I found through Stephanie Meyer, Hunger Games I found through Stephanie Meyer. You know, she used to recommend stuff on her blog. Yeah, I got obsessed and I was reading just so many more different books because I now had a section to go yes, to. <laughs> yes, now you have a huge long list of the TBR to go yeah. through. When was it when you started your YouTube channel? Because that takes a lot of time, energy, dedication. I mean, savings, like invest, actual tangible monetary investment goes into this. And I don't think most people realize how much work goes into producing whether it's YouTube channel, uh, content, podcasts, like those things that I think most people just see the final results and they're like, wow, like, you know, because it's kind of our job, right? Or our passion and our love to just produce it in a way that's so seamless that people don't see and think about how much work goes into it and how many hours that you're dedicating. I'm sure you're doing editing, you're taking care of lighting and all of those things, they add up hours and savings. It's a lot of work. So I just... I'm just blown away that you're able to stay committed for so long and then truly grow a following of people and really impacting them in such a positive way for the reading culture. And you've stayed consistent with your passion. So huge props to that, first of all. And second, if you could walk us through, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> appreciate that. It is a crap load of work. But it started, you know, as being not as much work because I was in a place where I really wanted to do something with my time that I, I was in college and I was feeling very lonely and mm. I was starting to watch vloggers on YouTube and I was like, I could do this. I'd been on YouTube before that because I wanted to work in film and I wanted to edit. And so I'd ma been making music videos oh. and that's what all through college, I made these like really kind of crappy music videos, but they were so much fun. I loved editing them and experimenting with different kinds of editing. And the first thing I put on YouTube that was a real video was a music video to Not Ready to Make Nice by the Dixie Chicks that I oh. made in my senior year of high school. <laughs> so I had been making those and posting those, but I had never done something where I sat in front of the camera and talked. And I had this buildup inside of me of all these different stories I wanted to talk about because none of my friends read. So that's another reason why in high school, <laughs> you know, I kind yes. of just rotated through my books. I didn't have anyone to talk about them with. And I'd mm. talk to my mom extensively who didn't read them. I'd just like <laughs> tell her the plot. You know, we all do that uh, growing up. So I figured maybe I should try finding friends who read on the internet mm. by making these videos about books. And I started just with my webcam, you know, talking about the first thing I talked about was the Hunger Games. And I was just so dumb in that vlog because I'd never talked to the camera. I was like, I want to try a vlog and <laughs> I hope you guys like it. I've been reading so many books and <laughs> gosh, it's so embarrassing. And it's on my Poland Bananas 20 channel, which is not the book channel. I eventually got paranoid that people were going to unsubscribe because oh, I was talking about books oh, no. and nobody liked books. The perception was that I had gotten growing up was nobody likes books. You know, right, there's right. only a few people that read. And even like none of my friends even read Harry Potter. And it was during peak Harry Potter times. So that's why I had to turn to podcasts. Oh. 
I started making these videos and I, cause I didn't have any friends in college. I was you know, very introverted. So I had a hard time putting myself out there and I didn't join any clubs and I had all this free time when I wasn't, you know, working on schoolwork. So I like to use that to edit and this gave me something to edit and a way to talk about the things I was really excited about. So I started posting there and then I moved to Poland Bananas Books. And then as it grew, all the production value grew, obviously. I wanted a nice camera. I wanted to, you know, nice background and editing. And you really need to have all that on YouTube now. Back mm-hmm. then, it was just, you know, wild west of YouTube. Right, <laughs> Anything right. Goes. And it's grown to something where this is like the minimum expectation, which is crazy to me. It's yeah. just insane yeah. how much work is expected now. So I'm just wondering during all of this, right before this, when you mentioned that, you know, your first video you ever made was a music video. And that was when you were wanting to work in film and TV. That really caught my attention. Can we backtrack that like super quick just to fill that yeah. spot in? What was it that made you gravitate towards that? Uh, what exactly did you want to do? And like, was it producer? Was it on camera? Was it like, like any details? Like, I'm just so fascinated by that. Yeah, well, I love storytelling. So I've always really loved movies and TV as well on top of books. Though my family, they're not a creative bunch. And, you know, growing up, I just did not think that me being an author, being a writer was even an option, mm. like a thing that I could pursue and get a real, you know, a job in after school. Yes. And so I fell into the idea of film because one of my cousins in California, she came to visit us and we made a video together. And I was like, wait a minute, I loved doing that. Mm. <laughs> what, how can I, is that a thing that I could do at school? So then lo and behold, there are schools that have film majors. And I really got into editing and I loved putting stuff together in a creative way. And music videos really allowed you to experiment in all different sorts of ways with editing. So that's where I was doing music videos. And also I didn't have equipment for sound. So I was like, my sound quality wouldn't be up to par. So I can't do like a film film, <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous in high school. But it's good because you had high expectations for yourself. And also you wanted to produce the best work that you could, which I find really awesome, especially for a high schooler, because not many high schoolers would have such high standards. I think that says so much about you. (laughs) Also shows like, you know, you really strive for perfection. And that is a strength that, you know, something definitely to be proud of and to embrace. Hence why you create good work that has been lasting for so many years. So hold on. What does your family do? My dad owned a copier, fax, IT company. And my mom, she worked before we were born, but then she stayed home and was a full-time mom for the three of us. And mm. my brother is the, my little brother, who is nine years younger than me, is the most creative of the bunch. And it was so cute. We would hang out together and he'd like love everything I do. And oh. he'd be super into wanting to make films too. And it was really fun. Now he's 20, which is so weird, but so I felt cute. like he was my little protege growing up. How <laughs> cute. Oh my gosh. Okay. So is he still in the creative 
Like, has he pursued he something? And oh, he is. That's awesome. He is pursuing more of a business track, but he oh. still loves making films and does that in his spare time. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay, so he got some like he got bitten by the business bug. So that's yeah. very fascinating to me. And then what about you said your mom stayed home to take care of three kids. So who is then the next baby? My sister, who is three years younger than me. Okay, and she's also creative or no? In her way, but she's not super artsy. She likes things to be like simple and basic and (laughs) in a clean sort of way, you know? So that's amazing. So you basically are the only one in your family who truly is the... I was like the weird one. No, not (laughs) weird at all. I think it's awesome that you were able to choose something that your heart was excited for, that not many people do that because they choose safety and I guess you could say a more traditional life because, you know, there is that safety aspect that comes with that and knowing that, you know, I guess a more consistent income coming in, knowing that it's a, you know, the nine to five practical jobs, quote unquote, you know what I mean? So that's Mm -hmm. like my entire family too. Okay. This is so fascinating to me. So that's awesome that you still push through with not one creative person in your family. Do you do like full-time creative work? Like you make a living off of just creativity. You could turn that into something that is a full-time career, or do you also balance that with daytime jobs? Because I know I've talked to some authors where, you know, we had an author who was a freaking full-time prosecutor, and he wrote an award-winning book. That's very cool. That was Jeff Zentner. That's just an example, right? So, and there's so many other authors who are balancing, you know, jobs as well. And like some that were studying on the medical track, did the medical thing, then left and actually went up against their traditional household thinking and telling the parents finally after eight to 10 years or over 10 years, like, hey, by the way, I'm a closet writer. And then I'm telling you now because I finally have a published book. So for you, is this something where you're also balancing a day job or a part-time job, but or you could do this fully just surviving as an artist? Okay, sorry. Before I go into this answer, I'm now feeling bad that I feel like my dad, if he ever listens to this, my dad always was videotaping things and doing stuff like that. So he is going to say he's creative. And I just want to let us say that. Oh my God. Sorry. Your dad (laughs) is super creative. He is awesome. First, it's your dad that was creative. And then you are the second, you're the second most creative one. I'm so sorry. Then your brother. Okay. Done and done. (laughs) Just wanted to state the fact. Okay, done. Anyway, moving forward. So (laughs) in terms of a job, YouTube is a full-time job for me now. Wow, congratulations. That's massive, massive. Yeah, it's it's really just now doing books as well, writing as well. It's I feel like I have a lot of plates up in the air because YouTube itself is a bunch of different jobs. If you do it full-time, you have Mm -hmm. to, you know, be garnering sponsorships and you know, doing different events and working all these different social media platforms and also putting out at least one video every week. But yeah. if you want to be growing in this day and age, you really have to do more. Oh, wow. Oh. So I, I've kind of made my peace now with just doing one video per week and not feeling like I'm slacking because I have to put the other time into writing. Yes. And It's been this weird transitional period where I have to be like, it's okay. It's okay for YouTube to be a kind of side thing and not your full-time hustle 24-7 because you're Mm. always thinking about the next video and when are you going to film it and, you know, when are you going to be able to put aside at least eight hours to edit it and all this different stuff. 
And there's a lot more that goes into YouTube videos than I feel like a lot of people think because you know you see a video and you're like oh she sat in front of a camera and talked but you know yes and that's the thing no one really knows like unless you're somehow involved in some kind of behind the scenes production most people have no clue or no idea you are playing like you were saying you're wearing all these hats right so you are playing producer you're playing on-camera talent you're playing your own lighting person you are playing your own audio person you're playing your own editor you're also stepping into marketing you're stepping into accounting you're stepping into mm-hmm. businesswoman for sponsorships because let's be real to do this you need to also be you know try to be strategic and be smart about it and like also make sure there's enough funds to keep you going or else there is no content that could be created you can't keep doing it and then drain yourself dry and then end up like on the streets or not having anything to you know what i mean it's it's a lot of work just like getting up and then knowing okay i have to film today so you have to put aside you know, at least an hour to get pretty because you want to look cute. Yes, <laughs> yes. And you have to be your own makeup artist, your own hairstylist. Just a whole thing. But I love it. So, and I put so much work into YouTube for the past 10 years. So it's such a weird transition being like, it's okay to put this baby over here. You did that. And now mm. we're working on writing and yes. I love writing so much. And I've always known that I've wanted to do this. So it's like, a weird transition balancing sort of thing that I'm working through. (laughs) Okay, so now let's talk about your book when you're writing again, but better, okay? So this is why I find so fascinating because understanding a glimpse of how much work goes into this, like for me, just running this podcast, running this something that's growing into an online media platform, it just is so much work that I originally started this podcast four years ago to inspire myself to write, but it turned into something completely different and not what I expected where I ended up not having any time to write. And I've been completely drained with my energy because now I've put my business thinking cap on, right? How do I sustain Mm -hmm. this podcast? It's now having articles and it's a website and all of that stuff. Like, how do I sustain it? How do I grow it? I'm sure you agree. This is the kind of work that you can keep pulling all-nighters and there's nonstop things to do. Yes. You know, and you really have to pull back. Like, I had a compressed upper spine and also a pinched nerve. So it was to that point where I would be on screen, like looking at the computer, nonstop constant work for about minimum 12 hours a day. A lot of times I would pull all-nighters and it wasn't until my health problems, no joke, like age really, it ain't joking around because once you're hitting a certain age or over a certain age, it's like, oh, hello, trying to remind you, girl, you better step back or take a nap. So I ended up realizing I need to pull back or else all of this work is for nothing. Because if I cannot function, how can I even lead the team to help do whatever it is to do, right? How can I even be there for the community, just wanting to provide that space? I'm not going to be able to have the energy to do that. And forget about having the energy to even put back into my own creative work. So I'm personally very curious about you when you're writing again, but better. Were you super conscious in being aware of dedicating like, okay, now time to switch off YouTube brain. Yeah. Is that how you do it? Or is it very much free flow and you just are like, you know what? I have an hour free right now. I'm going to jump in right now and start writing and adding to the manuscript for again, but better. So as soon as I got out of college and I moved back into my mom's house, I wanted to write a book. Mm -hmm. And this is also the time where 
I had done a couple internships and I had realized I don't want to work in an office. Mm -hmm. Like I loved doing YouTube and it was just turning into this thing where people could do it as a job because different businesses were getting in on it and sponsoring people. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I can build this. Like at that time I was like, I can do it and I can make this into a job because I love reading and I have this reading audience and publishing has to get into this sort of marketing eventually. Mm -hmm, (laughs) So mm -hmm. there has to be a way to turn this thing that I love so much into a job. And then in my mind, I made this deal with myself that like once I'm at a point where I feel like stable job wise, then I can start dedicating myself to writing this book full time, like every day, you know, Mm -hmm. I wasn't to a point where I felt comfortable putting aside that time because when I first got out of college, because my channel wasn't at a point where I felt like it was successful, you know, at a job like level. So those first two years, I literally, all I did was eat, sleep and breathe videos. Like I would, all I did was stay, Mm -hmm. you know, I had like no social life. I would just edit and film and read a book that I talk about, edit it and film another thing. And it was just all the time. And I became such a homebody, but it was like a time where my channel was really, really growing. And I was really excited about what I was doing. And I loved what I was doing. And my family was kind of like, what are you doing? (laughs) I'd be in the house and my mom would be like, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? I'd be like, mom, I'm working. (laughs) I am editing right now. (laughs) And at that time I'd be able to edit till like 4am and, you know, be fine. And I'd just be on a really weird schedule all the time. Now it's 12 o'clock and And you're done. Yep. And I'm just like, I can't concentrate at anything. How do they do this? (laughs) But I wanted to write a book until uh, for a very long time. And and out of college, it felt like a thing I could do. But when I tried to do it along with YouTube, it just was like, I can't put my full, you know, heart into it because I'm putting my full heart into YouTube right now. Mm -hmm. So in around 2015 is when I finally felt like, okay, I'm at a point where I'm ready to write this book. I'm ready to kind of shift so that YouTube isn't my 100% all the time. Mm-hmm. So come 2016 is when I gave myself permission. I was like, it's okay to just post one video per week. It's going to be fine. And you are going to work on this project that you've been wanting to do mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. And so I got into this really nice rhythm where I'd work on YouTube in the morning. And then I would work on writing after three o'clock. Oh, wow. Oh, I love that you actually set like a straight up schedule for yourself. Like it was actually doable at the time. Yeah. And I would do that every day. I did that every day until I got my first draft. So some days would just be writing because obviously I was just like, again, I was like, you could just do one video per week. So I would have like two days where either I could, you know, try to make another video (laughs) or I could dedicate them to writing. And I ended up dedicating them to writing because I was so excited. Once I got into this writing, you know, it, it brings me so much joy just creating a book and creating a story and being in a new world and, you know, kind of escaping reality to be with these different characters. So I really realized that this is what I want to do now, you know, after doing YouTube for so long, it hasn't lost that excitement for me, but it's always been something that's kind of a jumping off point for creative projects in my mind. Yes. That's brilliant. 
it's time to do the creative projects and stop. I know I just met you and I do not mean to pull like, like my mom's personality right now, but I am proud of you because this is so much freaking work. And I know it's like, you know, sometimes annoying to hear people say like, I'm proud of you. Like, girl, you just met me. Like, what you proud about? But like, seriously, just understanding a glimpse of how much work goes into this, how much energy goes into one project that you want to do so well to become a full-time kind of job, there's no time that you can put elsewhere on any other project if you want it to be at a certain level. And then you were able to get to the point where you were at the jump off of being like, okay, now time to focus on the creative work of writing. And you did it. Now, quickly, how many videos were you producing before that? Like you said, you were able to cut down to one per week. I'm scared to ask how many you were doing before. Back in the day where I was living in my mom's house, I was juggling two channels because I was still doing Pulling Bananas 20 where I did comedy stuff and then Pulling Bananas books where I did anything book related. And I would have at least one on Pulling Bananas 20 every week, which <gasps> there was usually more production involved in those because I'd like to do comedy sketches and stuff. And then at least two on the book channel every week. But that was oh at God. least at that time. If anything happened book related, I'd be on a video about it. If there was a trailer, if there was new casting, if there was, you know, just like a new announcement having to do with casting, I would just be there like, okay, oh my gosh, I'm reacting or talking about it or discussing, you know, what this means for the movie. And it was very exciting because I loved doing it. But it's something that I could not do now just because I can't handle handle so much editing when I'm doing, you know, yes. I'm trying to put my effort into the writing. Did you want to grow into having a team to work on the behind the stuff and also help to, I guess you could say outsource, right? The editing, for example, because now like for mine, I do the first round of editing where it's more of the story and to make sure that it's compact and very much um, when the listener's listening, they feel like they got so much information within the short amount of time. But then the second round, I was able to outsource to an editor and he helps me go through to clean up like a lot of the ums and all that stuff. So I'm not sure, maybe you didn't want a team or maybe you do. Like, where are you with that? So I've been a total control freak with my videos <laughs> for so long. And it really is also difficult when I'm doing a book talk where I'm just discussing in depth, spoilery stuff about everything that happened in a book. If you haven't read that book, you can't edit it. You know, you don't know what's irrelevant or what That's feels repetitive. And it's just, it was also niche. So, and I, I also loved editing. Yes. So I feel like, you know, people wouldn't have, the same style or wouldn't feel the comedic timing that I wanted with certain jokes and stuff because they're not in my brain, you know, thinking yes. of it and knowing what I'm trying to do here. So it wasn't until this year that I was like, it would be really nice to have an editor. And my brother yes. was looking for a summer job. <gasps> and so I tried it out and I didn't like it. Oh no. I I was hoping it worked out. No. Not that he didn't do a good job, but it wasn't what I would have done. And I was <sighs> just like, I want to be putting out my best stuff because I'm only putting out one a week. Yes, and I get it. I want it to at least, you know, feel like something that I did. And right. since I am so heavy handed with the editing, it doesn't feel like me if I'm not doing it. At least that's what I right now feel. I've had, I've had my friend Natasha, who is also a YouTuber edit a couple of my videos, but they're like the really straightforward, 
review videos <laughs> that I do once a month that are really easy. And she's watched so many of them that she knows what my style is like in those videos. But overall, I'm just like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay, hold on. For real though, like I completely understand because that is a specific trademark and it's an imprint of you. It is your image. It is your representation. The listeners are the, the viewers are there for you. So that makes sense, right? But what about, have you thought of like all the other work that goes into it that's like, you know, reaching out and making sure you have consistent income coming in? Were you able to at least hire out for like a marketing person for you or someone that can talk about sponsorships, specifically about sponsorships, handle all like inquiries like that, you know, like the business side so that you can just focus with a sigh of relief and peace in your mind, knowing you just have a good time with the editing and the filming and not have to worry about dealing with hopping on the call with sponsors or companies or partnerships or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm just now starting to a little bit transition into having someone who helps me with that at New Leaf. Very good. Yeah, I mean, I've tried dipped my toe in a couple of times over the years with different networks, YouTube networks. And it's always just been a mistake mm. because they're not really looking out for your best interests because they just represent way too many people to do that. So again, I feel like I'm very much a control freak <laughs> and I need to let start letting go because it's just at the point where yes. I do need help. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm telling you, I'm sorry. I don't mean to nag or yeah. preach. No, you're right. <laughs> honestly was drowning. I was drowning. Okay. And now yeah. I have an email manager who helps me with all of that stuff. I still hop on the call to basically secure and land the sponsorships, but she helps me do the follow-ups because I am so terrible at emails because there's just so, so much many. I need to yeah. do. Like I'm juggling so many hats and I cannot even handle one more thing. So then the email manager story really helped me. She was able to lift off a lot from my plate with that. I also have Rachel who's been with us for years. Now she's gone into like more content stuff, which has been incredible. And that's helped me really just focus on the direction and the vision of where 80 Cups of Tea is going. And I'm able to steer the ship a little bit more rather than staying in a place where I feel like I'm running around yeah. in the same circle and I kept running into walls because I wasn't making any difference. I wasn't making any different choices. I was just doing the same thing over and over again. I was exhausted. I nearly like, I would almost cry sometimes when I'm just yeah. pulling another all-nighter and I couldn't I take you. it. This is what I'm saying. Like, I can't imagine like just hearing the work you're telling me that you're doing. I am stressing out for you. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't want you to get to the point where I'm sure you've already reached burnout. Oh yeah, I've already hit that point and kind of like moved oh. forward just more slowly, but I'm at the point where I am trying to take on different help in those areas. Yes. Girl, please let yes. go. Thank you for bringing us behind the scenes because I love talking about entrepreneurial stuff. So thank you for getting into that with me. And also now getting back to again, but better. You know how you were saying that you were kind of figuring out the transition into getting into mm -hmm. that writing headspace. So then what were you actually thinking if you can kind of walk us through your conscious thoughts? For my first I think six months, not every month of this six months, but I did NaNoWriMo schedule mm, wow. for my writing. <gasps> so my book was so freaking long, the first oh. draft of the first time. But I had been thinking about the story that I wanted to write for so long that it was kind of just bubbling up inside me. So it was very easy and fun for me to sit down and write after having, you know, spent the morning editing or filming or whatever I was doing for YouTube. And so I would get my Starbucks 
And that would be my journey out of the house. You know, some mm-hmm. people are like, why do you do Starbucks every day? You know, you could just, you know, buy it at home and make it. But this is how I leave the house because I work from <laughs> home. So this is my break. You know, I just need to see the sunlight. Yes. So I go out, I'd get my Starbucks. I had to come home and sit on the couch. I have my desk and that's where I do all my YouTube work and emails and stuff. But the couch is where I would sit to do my writing. And that would kind of help switch brain spaces, I think, having different spots in the house where I do different types of work. And yeah, I would jump in until I felt like at least an hour. But if I was on a jam, you know, writing jam, I would Mm -hmm. just go forever and take a break to eat and then, you know, write into the night. I I found that, you know, I'd end up doing the most writing at like 1am. So I was on a very weird schedule that first six months where I'd be, because after you write, you're kind of on this high. So you can't go to sleep immediately. It would kind of be like when I was editing back in the day, because I could write into the night, but I couldn't edit into the night anymore. Yes. And yeah, I did that for like six months. That was my schedule. Now I am book two is completely different. But for again, let's just talk about again, but better. (laughs) I give it better. It was just such a fun, everything was new, like all the different stages. And I had my playlist and I would just keep adding to it. I'd use the Spotify Discover Weekly because I found they did a really good job Ooh. curating a playlist that worked with what I was writing because I guess they're watching what I am listening to every day, you know? <laughs> right, it's so creepy. creepy. Yes. yes. But every week I'd be looking forward to Monday because they'd have a new Discover Weekly and then I'd choose which went the best with my story and add it to the playlist. And I ended up with the book very much has, you know, a lot of music and running through it and musical references and stuff. So I ended up having a playlist that kind of really went along with the story that I released when the book came out, which was really fun. Oh, I love that. Yes. Extra bonus content's always amazing. Yeah. I mean, I just had the best time writing this book. It was so much fun. And now I'm writing book two and it's just been such not, it's not a sequel, which is always confusing, but I'm writing my second book now. And it's just such a different experience from the first book because everything's different. Mm. (laughs) You kind of write the first one and and not that it's not fun and great. I'm just trying to find my groove there because I've just started it. And the first one, it was kind of so open-ended, you know, because I didn't have an agent. I didn't have any previous books. It was just so free and wild. And now there are deadlines. So I'm just finding that groove. And I, in between books, I really went back to kind of putting my all into YouTube all the time Mm -hmm. when I wasn't working on a draft or, you know, when I had handed in the final draft of Again But Better, I'm like, okay, this is the time to like try to get YouTube chugging along again. So I went back to kind of full-time thinking about that for a little bit. And now it's transitioning back into my schedule where I'm dividing them and stuff. And that helps you. You feed off of that energy, right? Like you love constantly having something to do. Oh, yes. Yeah. If I don't, I feel like I'm doing nothing and useless. You know, (laughs) like, I don't know if you do the, do you know your Enneagram type? I, you know what I took, is that the um, ENFJ? Is that Enneagram or is that the different? That's something else. And I have not done that one, but a lot of people know that one. This (laughs) is 
Enneagram, there's nine different personality types. And oh, is this a number? This is a number yeah. one? Okay, I completely forgot mine. What is yours? Mine is three, which I'm finally coming to terms with the Enneagram. At first, when you take the test, you get your result and you're like, no, 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 no. You're, you're like, like nope. immediate denial. <laughs> like, because they talk about the positive traits, but they also talk about the negative parts of being your number. And right. you, it's so real. You're like, no, 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 that can't be me. No. <laughs> You're like going through this denial process of just getting yeah. through it. It's like grief. You're like, oh my gosh. Wait, so what is three represent? Like, what is that in in like a, you know? Yeah, so three is the achiever and they're oh. like happiest when they're doing things and mm. making things and you're kind of constantly wanting to strive to be the best at whatever you're doing. And so they tend to be workaholics sometimes, and they're kind of very worried about, uh, you know, how people are perceiving them and and mm-hmm. that kind of really stresses them out. And I'm not an expert on the Enneagram, so I, people are probably listening to this like, you're saying <laughs> things wrong, but if they're super into it. It's okay. We can always Google it. All right. Anybody who's doubting this, y'all can just Google yourself. Don't worry. (laughs) And the more I let that sit and I was like, you know, I I am type three. (laughs) I am Enneagram type three. I'm super competitive too. And I don't, even when I don't want to be, there's this thing in me that's like, you have to work harder. That's good. I think that's an amazing thing. Do you know how proud my mom would be to have daughters like that all the time? Are you kidding? She's always like pushing that into us because she's very, you just got to keep hustling and you got to keep trying to achieve perfection and you just got to keep going or else she thinks everybody else is lazy. So honestly, I think that's an amazing trait to have. However, be careful again of the burnout situation again. That's the, you know, the negative end is the burnout situation and it can take a toll on your mental health. And when there's something out of your control, you know, that could take a toll on your mental health. And it just really helps you, I think, become more aware of like your how you are in stress and yes. why things certain things make you happy and it's really interesting. Okay, I'm going to interject here. When you're talking about like mental health because that is something we talk about a lot on this podcast and yes. I'm always very much all about anyone everyone should always be open to therapy. Period. It shouldn't be yeah. a stigma. It shouldn't be something that yeah. should be like, you know, oh, we can't talk about it. Like I grew up with that kind of upbringing and it's just not right. It's wrong, okay? And and everyone should be okay with it if they feel like they need to talk to somebody and never ever feel ashamed or feel judged for doing that. And I do know like for me it got to a point where I just couldn't handle it was just so much happening, just running, building and holding this community up on my shoulders and having it wanting it at a certain level of perfection or just at least I know at least I did my best you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and I and plus the physical health toll that it took on me and then it started really getting into mental I had to seek out a therapist again and it really helped me night and day just have a breather and have somebody to talk to without feeling like oh if it's I'm talking to family and friends they're going to be super biased or like you know what I mean it's just someone that's like a oh, very yeah. like a Switzerland I like I like to think about like super neutral state that they just hear everything out and then I'll have them tell I'll tell them to bounce back their thoughts with me cuz I don't like just sitting there talking to someone that's like basically feels like talking to a wall I like I like feedback I like to talk to somebody so then for you when you're dealing with all of this Okay, like I cannot imagine, like I don't know if I could handle all of this, but were you ever at a point where it really, really hit you mentally and it just, you almost felt like you couldn't get up from bed in a, in, in a way? I've always had anxiety, but never to the extent, like come the month before my book was going to come oh. out, I all of a sudden 
had all these different symptoms and I started like having panic attacks and I finally decided, you know, it's time to see a therapist. And I've been going the past two months and it's been great. It's a weird journey for me because I have social anxiety and talking to her like that first time, I was so anxious to just like <gasps> talking about these stupid, not stupid, that's the thing that I do. It's talking about my feelings. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> to like a stranger. It's it's scary, but you get used to it. But, you know, you come to a point with, I feel like whatever your business you're trying to build or things you're trying to do, or it's sometimes they just get to you and you need to take a step back and let yourself be okay. Kind of give yourself permission to go see a therapist, I feel like, because there is that stigma that, it's kind of in the back of your brain and it's ridiculous. <laughs> like take care of yourself. First of all, thank you for even stating that and sharing that on the podcast. Was there ever anything that you can share that you're comfortable with that it was like one of your most, like you could even say the most challenging time in your life? I know you're mentioning you're having extreme like panic attacks about a month yeah. before your book came out. Was there another moment in your life where you almost thought you couldn't get through it? Or even if like going through the details of like why you were feeling the panic attack or anything like that? Yeah. Leading up to release, I at first didn't realize, you know, there's all these different emails coming in all the time about all different sorts of things you're going to be doing. And I think there's all this expectation. There's this kind of stigma on YouTube when you've been a YouTuber for so long. People like to tell you you don't deserve to be published what? because yeah, there's this sort of thing from people who come up in a different direction, you know, to get published. And like, I just, you know, went the way of like, I built a platform and then tried to get published and people just don't realize how much work goes into that. I feel yes. like, so there is this background thing where it's not that many people coming at me saying this, but there's enough that it gets to you in a way that I don't, that like subconsciously, I guess, you know, where you know that you've worked really hard for this, but there are people coming at you being like, you don't deserve to be published and like automatically assuming that whatever you do is just because you have fans and that you don't have any talent in whatever you're trying to do. And that's something I think that is always whatever you're, creative platform is that you're trying to jump off of from YouTube. It's just something that people like to project onto you when you like, if there's a filmmaker that all of a sudden is trying to make the jump, you know, it's just like, mm. that's a YouTuber, whatever they do is not going to be, you know, film worthy, you know, and the right. same thing with writing. And I feel like the more booktubers start to make that transition, because so many of us want to write. Mm -hmm. And that's why we make videos about books and storytelling. Yes. <laughs> and the more that people make that transition, the more that stigma will kind of die down. And that's not to say that there are, you know, there's so much support in this community as well. But it's always that one mean thing yes. that sticks with you and like gives you anxiety. So I'm so sorry, first of all. And it's, it's so shitty to hear this because just hearing how much time that you took to give 
to the community, the book community, you know, and just to hear that there are, even though, like you said, it's few, it's mostly really kind, wonderful community that you have, but like the very few who do, you know, say really hurtful things, it's, it boggles my mind because it's like, okay, but you're okay consuming all this free content that you love, boggles my mind. It's almost like they're they're mad that you got into writing, which does not make any, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no logic in that. Yeah. Like, that's not right. And I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that. Yeah, I feel like it's also, that's such a small sliver and there's so much support. So it's like, it's also something that I don't even feel justified talking about, but I'm learning through therapy that yes, you have yes. to discuss those things and just accept them and like move forward. <laughs> and it's also like okay to like share that, you know, you can get so many wonderful, kind reviews and we're always so grateful for it. But like even just one comment that just tears you down, it's just, that'll stick with you. Yeah. That really does. And I, I completely understand where you're coming yeah. from. But I'm yeah. really also happy for you that you have a legion of loyal, loyal viewers who love your work and are there for you. And it's something that, I mean, with my videos, I've gotten, like, whenever I get troll comments, it's like, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just when a book is a completely different, and this is my first time doing that, and I feel like it's much more vulnerable. And so it, it's kind of learning to deal with those sorts of things in a different context because with the videos I'm, I'm over it it's like okay right. whatever you know right <laughs> because I've been doing it for so long but this is so new and also it's you're bearing your soul and your heart and yeah I almost yeah. think of it it's like I don't know if you've watched Game of Thrones but like when Cersei there's this character they were punishing her made her walk through mm-hmm. the entire town completely butt naked and saying shame shame you yes. know like I Yes, the infamous shame scene where I'm like, it kind of feels like that. It really does. Where it's because you're exposing so much of your inner self, a voice that maybe other people you haven't shared with before. They've heard uh, you as a YouTuber, but this is a different form, you know, and it just gets very personal. So I completely get it. And I'm sorry that that happened. No, I mean, like, it's something that I feel like must happen to you know, so many different, so many authors, so many different artists, you know, in different ways. Yeah. And it's just something that I have to learn to deal with in different ways and do self-care and all that stuff. It's so important or else again, Mm -hmm. burnout and also anxiety, depression, all of that is real. It is so real. And you got to take care of yourself or else no one will. Yeah. Circling to more positive things (laughs) as well. Camille Leeds, she's one of our listeners. She is so excited. She loves your work. She loves your YouTube channel. Us talking about this reminded me of her question. She's like, how did having YouTube for so many years influence your process when you started to write again, but better? Yeah, well, I made videos chronicling the whole process and everyone in the comments was so supportive. It was kind of like I had this writing group with me throughout the whole thing, which was so much fun. And whenever I was feeling like I needed to talk about something writing related after having spent the day writing, I would, you know, get out the camera and start just, you know, chatting. And they became my favorite videos that I was making in that time because it was just like, so relaxed and I was talking to a friend and you know at that time no one knew anything about the book so I was just kind of free to talk about whatever and in a more broad way and then like chat with people in the comments about it which was so much fun and 
it just made me so excited when like something came up that I was writing and I was having an issue with. I was like, oh, I'm so excited to discuss this with everyone and see what their thoughts are. And like, is anyone else dealing with this? And how do they, you know, move past it and all that stuff. It was so much fun. And I'm so glad that I had the platform to be able to have that experience while I was writing. Yes. And when I was on book tour, it was just so cool meeting all these different people that came up to me and were talking about the writing videos and how it helped them get on more of a schedule with their own projects and motivate them to write. And it was doing the same thing for me. So it was really, really nice. Do you find now that there's more people coming out of the woodworks that you have more of a majority, like leans towards majority of of writers, whether that means like closeted writers? I said slowly more writers are coming into the bunch. As these videos become a bigger part of my channel and as writings become a bigger part of my life, I feel like more writers have come either out of the woodwork from my audience or have come over people in the comments have been like, oh, I found you through your writing videos now, which is very cool. Karis Rogerson, um, one of our longtime listeners, she says, wow, this is so exciting. I can't wait to hear the interview. My question is, what advice do you have for others in the booktube or book blog or bookgram community who want to grow their platforms and work more with publishers in order to achieve that? So I get this question a lot. And I feel like I am not the best person to answer it because you're like, no, hold up. (laughs) When I started, it was not a thing working with publishers for me at all. Like I, it wasn't a thing I was aware of. It wasn't a thing that I was doing it for. And I think my biggest advice is always to like, do have fun with whatever you're doing and do stuff that you love. And I don't feel like I have the best advice for getting in touch with publishers because It started to happen when my channel was already growing because it was so new, BookTube. I think Bookstagram was like started growing like the year after maybe BookTube started growing. I think that community started growing over there. Do pictures you love. Don't put up something that you're not proud of. So everything I do, I want to be proud of it when I put it up. With publishers, like trying to get in touch with them, I would say now would just be like, you know, tag them in your Instagram if it's a book that they've published and tag them in a tweet with your video, like the publishing company, so that they're aware of you and they start to track you. And like, I feel like I don't know much about the emailing people to get arcs and stuff, that side of it, because I never even knew about arcs until I went to BEA and I got arcs. I was like, oh my gosh, books before they came out. Okay, that's super helpful. What are small manageable steps that you would advise our community to take every week towards accomplishing their writing goals? Because you are a master at balancing everything. Am I though? Yes, you are, girl. (laughs) Yes. Well, something that's really helped me is just having the goal to write an hour a day. Mm. And so even when you are having a day where you just really don't feel like it or you've been really busy, and this would work for my first book, it hasn't been working as much for the second book, but for the first (laughs) book, like even if it was midnight, I'd be like, okay, put on a timer, an hour, just write. And no matter what happened, it just keeps those writing juices flowing. For this second book, I'm trying to do the same thing, but there will be some days where I write for like 15 minutes and I'm like, I can't do it anymore. I'm exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm more aware that I'm trying to edit instead of 
just vomiting my story, mm. which again I, is something that I'm just, I'm a noob writer, you know, this is mm. only my second book. So I'm adjusting and I feel like my tips aren't, they're not wizened yet. <laughs> no, but I love this. I love this. I think it's so real for people to hear everybody has a different approach, different way, different journey with their own writing careers. So I think this is brilliant that you're sharing. And I love that we're actually capturing you right now in this moment while you're writing book two and like figuring your own voice out, figuring yourself out as a writer even more. I think this is amazing. I love these moments. They're so real. So, okay. Are you allowed to share more about book two? I don't know. I can share what I've already shared, which is just that it's the themes in Again, My Better are more rom-com coming of age and happy-go-lucky. And this book's a little bit darker and the themes are more family-oriented. They're still romance because I love romance and it needs to be there. But there's definitely a stronger family-oriented thread running through it. Ooh, I love that. I love family-based stories. All right, for anyone who has not yet had a chance to grab a copy of Again But Better, the fact that your main character, Shane, went to London to travel, and I think that's such an impactful statement to make, especially for an age group where people are still figuring themselves out. So was there a specific choice in making Shane go to London? So with Again But Better... What I really wanted to do was hit an age group that I know there's like so many of us that experience this type of thing when we're 20. But a lot of times when we read or watch stories, we see all these people conquering so much when they're a teenager. And when everyone tells you that college is so great and it's this time where everyone parties and like they meet the loves of their lives and like they have 50 sexes every day and you know go everywhere have adventures there's so many people that go to college and none of this has happening for them and they don't have any friends and they feel lost and behind and like they did something wrong because none of this has happened for them even though you're only 20 but at the time it means so much that this hasn't happened. You feel so down on yourself and behind because you see so many people doing it and you read, I like you read so many people doing these things who are 17. And I know there's only a three year gap between 17 and 20, but it feels like a decade, you know, cause you're not a teenager. And I know at that time I was so insecure and I just was constantly down on myself. It's one of, I feel like the low points for probably like my early years, mental health, because I felt like I'd done everything wrong, you know, like nothing, and it would never resolve itself. And I made this decision to study abroad, not because I was trying to necessarily like restart and have adventures, even though I did want to do that, but I made it because everyone I knew was going. And they weren't my close friends, but they were my acquaintances. And I was like, if I don't study abroad, no one's going to be around that I know. And so I should probably do that. And then I had this most amazing, life-changing experience, just, you know, learning that I could do things on my own. And I just had to, like, try. You know, I just had to push myself more because I was always so scared to do everything. And I wanted to encourage and show others who were feeling the same way that, like, you can do it. It just takes a little bit of discomfort. You know, you just have to push yourself a little bit and all these things will come for you. I haven't read that many books about people in college and I've never until fangirl like read someone who was having that sort of 
bad time at college. But even Fangirl, she's a freshman. And I was feeling like this up until like my junior year. And that feels so old in college. I'm grateful that there are more stories like this out there. Didn't hit me at 20, but it hit me a little later in my life when I was 25. And I threw myself on this long European trip just to get out there, see the world, do something different, shake things up. I came from a background where most of my friends were like, wait, why are you traveling? Like, you're, you know, why are you going off by yourself? Like, and it just very much wasn't very encouraged from the people that I knew. But funny enough, my family is a family of travelers. And my mom jet sets everywhere. She's just like, bye, peace out next week. I'm going to New Zealand. I'm like, all right, bye. I guess I'm babysitting (laughs) the kids again. And so I very much was like, all right, I need to do this for myself. And just kind of like, I think I felt a little bit of, I felt very lost. I felt lonely and also felt like I kind of wanted to keep up with like my family members of jet setters. You know what I mean? So mine was like that little funny twist right there, but it's just so great that there are stories out here because most of our listeners, I put out a survey and asked them, you know, what's their number one thing or what is their top thing on their bucket list? And most people say they wish they had an opportunity or the time to travel and to see the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's such a huge part of ourselves for those who are able to, you know, it's not like yeah. everyone can, even if they want to, but for those who can, like, It is an absolute privilege, but also I can understand it's like, for me, it's part of my lifestyle now, you know? Like, it's so much. That's why I'm like, oh, I love the traveling aspect of it. All right, so why don't you then tell us what books that you could recommend that you feel like really helped you with your craft of writing or just overall blew your mind with storytelling? Since me being film TV major, I have a lot of also film and television that kind of really inspired me. A book that really made me want to be like, okay, you have to write. Because I've always wanted to write a study abroad story after I studied abroad. I was like, I want to write something about this because I've never read anything about this. And I feel like this was such a life-changing experience and blah, blah, blah. Gail Foreman's Just One Day. It's about a girl who's graduated high school and she's been on this two-week trip with her class you know, it's been really structured and rigid. And like the last day she's on a train and this boy is getting off in Paris and she gets off with him and they spend the day together. And I just like the structure of the book kind of blew my mind. And it was like something I had never read a book about a girl traveling that was kind of reminding me of my own travel experiences. And that kind of pushed me to really want to write that kind of a book. And Lost was a huge just creative inspiration. I had never seen anything like it. The way that they delve into their characters and the circular storytelling was just so beautiful. And the different puzzle pieces, oh, I love it so much. And I've paid like homage to it. And again, but better, she's a huge Lost fan. You know, she, she there's so many references. <laughs> um, I love that. The Mindy Project. Ooh, yes. Really. Yes, yes. I love Mindy Kaling and I love how unabashedly she loves romantic comedies. I was going to say rom coms. That sounded weird. <laughs> uh, it how works though. Unabashedly so. in love with it, she is. And how she has no problem being cheesy and cutesy in all different ways. And she's really inspired me in that direction because I love rom-coms, but you're kind of made to feel, I don't know, there's been like a stigma. The, they're coming back. 
But before this past like five years, they disappeared off the face of the earth. And everyone's like, oh yeah, that's just like a chick flag rom-com. But they were always something that made me so happy and feel so hopeful as you know, a teenager and just growing up. And I always feel that way when I'm reading a book that is a rom-com and I wanted to write that sort of a feeling for people. Oh, such great recommendations. Also, you inspired <laughs> me, by the way, to now ask the guests, okay, if you have any books or TV shows and films. <laughs> so thank you so much for that. All right. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Okay. Well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as May like X-T-I-N-E-M-A-Y, like the month. And I'm terrible for branding because I'm all over the place here. <laughs> and then on YouTube, I'm youtube.com slash Poland bananas books. Poland like the country, bananas like the fruit books. <laughs> uh, and my name's Christine Riccio. So that's the name on my book, <laughs> which is not my name on anything else. And that wraps up my conversation with Christine Riccio. Thank you so much for being so open to telling us your storytelling journey. I had such a fun time talking about all the things with you and wish you continued success. Storytellers, wasn't that such a fun and insightful conversation? Now we're going to jump right into my conversation with your fellow 88 Cups of Tea storyteller, Sarah Adams. Hey, everyone. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited. We have Sarah Adams with us today. Thank you so much for coming by and stopping by and welcome to 88 Cups of Tea. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to do this. I am so excited about this. And why don't we kick it off with what you're currently working on? I am working on a novel called The Whispers. It's adult contemporary horror. And it's the story of Cora who winds up in outpatient mental health treatment. She makes new friends and then winds up being chased by shadow monsters. Wow. Okay. What was the inspiration for that story? Well, I wrote a short story about anxiety. Anxiety is something that plagues a lot of us. So when I wrote it, it resonated with a lot of people and they asked me, you know, what comes next? So I went, hmm, I don't know. Gave it a lot of thought and realized that there was a book in it. And it was basically based off of my own experiences and outpatient. And so became The Whispers. So what was the most challenging part about writing your story or even in life in general? The most challenging part about writing this was I was in cancer treatment while I was writing it. So basically every day I was headed to radiation treatment and I was writing 200 words on the trip down on Scrivener on the app and 200 more words while I was waiting to go into treatment and 200 more words on the way back out. And it was challenging. You know, that was that was basically the biggest one. Oh my gosh. Okay. First of all, uh, I bow down to you. I don't know how you did that because when you're getting to go for your cancer treatments, were you on the train or in a, in a car? Like, were you being driven around? Cause I would honestly just any kind of motion and I look at my phone, I want to throw up. Oh, I was, I was in a car. So <gasps> there were moments. <laughs> oh my God. How do you not throw up in a bag? Deep breaths, deep breathing. <laughs> I'm very practiced at it. I have an excellent support system though. So I was driven every single day to treatment. Oh my gosh, Sarah, that is incredible. I honestly, I don't know how you were able to find that energy and time. And like, do you have any advice for those who are listening in, who are really having trouble 
finding the time, even if they're trying, but they get home and they're exhausted, they fall asleep or like they have to go and take care of the kids or like, how did you find that motivation? How did you find that discipline? Well, first off, 88 cups of tea was huge. Oh, (laughs) thank you. I mean, it was. Um, Find the little moments. You know, even if you just get five words down, you've gotten five words down. That's so huge. I mean, getting a sentence down is getting a sentence down. It's about taking that 30 seconds for yourself when you can, where you can. And that's what I did. How supportive is your loved ones with your storytelling? So supportive. They're all my beta readers. They, they've all read the book twice now. I have one friend who's been my editor, who's been, you know, backing me 100%. They all have, but she's been backing me as far as all my grammatical errors and all my dangling participles and all those terrible things. So yeah, they've been helping me on the road to pitch wars. So that's been great. (gasps) Oh, so you're applying for pitch wars. I am applying for pitch wars, which is nerve wracking, but I'm going to get there. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm very excited for you. Congrats on building up the courage to just do it. I think that's awesome. You're right now preparing to get ready to clean up your manuscript to then query to literary agents overall. I'm assuming that's where you are in your timeline. Yes. How has that been? Like, are you feeling pretty ready to gear up for the querying trenches? Or if there's any words of advice that you can share with fellow storytellers who are going through almost the same kind of journey right now? Ask questions, research everything, and ask more questions. I drive my CPs crazy, absolutely crazy. Shout out to Gina, because she's going to be listening to this. (laughs) you know, have people read things for you over and over and over again. Anybody that will read for you, have them read for you. You know, it's doing all the basics. That is very, very helpful. I would love to know overall with your, with your story, what do you hope for readers to get from your story once it's out in the world where they can actually walk in the store and pick up your book and walk to the register with it? Well, The Whispers is a story of self-acceptance and coping with your mental health. So I hope you will walk away from it feeling like they're not alone because it's an incredibly diverse cast of people in the book because mental health affects just about all of us. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they'll see themselves in it. I, I know that, you know, in our private Facebook group, for example, we've definitely heard from fellow storytellers who jump in and share sometimes when they're going through a bit of a rough spot and sometimes they're they're not really sure how to get through. But a lot of times they do say having a community really helps and it feels a lot less isolating, especially if you're going to go into something in artistry like writing, it can get incredibly lonely at times. If you can pass on any words of wisdom or any words of advice to those who may be feeling you know, whether it's anxious about their work or feeling a bit down and and really blocked in their creativity or just feeling a lot of, I guess you could say, stress around what it is that they're trying to do with their art. Could you give them any words of advice? I've been you. I am you. (laughs) It's hard, but reach out. Look for things like 88 Cups of Tea. Look for hashtags like CP Match on Twitter. Look for little moments where there might be somebody that you can connect with because they are out there. I found people. You can too. How has it been for you when you found your people? I think that's so important. That's something that I don't think as many people realize how important it is to have a support system. And not. And we're not talking about just, you know, family, friends, loved ones, because not everyone can understand 
the world of creative people, right? Like, or artists. And I think it's so crucial to protect your story, protect that magic inside of you to create. So has it been like night and day when you found your people? You know what I mean, right? When I say your people, like your storytellers. I mean, it's been pretty magical, you know, knowing that there's other people out there that understand what it's like. Once again, you know, shout out to Gina, shout out to Kevin, Kim, all those people that have been there and will read your stuff and give you the honest advice and understand what it's like and won't flinch away from the hard stuff as far as writing, it makes you feel like you're on the right track. I think especially with adult friendships, it's hard to make and especially finding people who have things in common with you. Do you have any tips to pass on like for those who are starting to be more open to meeting new friends in the writing world. Is there anything that you can pass on to them? I mean, I'm still learning about that myself. I think we all are all the time. Reach out to me. Come say hi to me. I'm easy to find. And I'll, you know, I'll say hi to you. Overall, do you have any, any words you want to share with 88 Cups of Tea community overall? Or do you think we covered it? Uh, hi, guys. <laughs> you are awesome. Sarah, you've been so lovely. I'm so happy to have you in this segment. And please let everyone know where they can find you on social media, whether it's to say hi or to follow you and keep tabs on how you're doing and what you've been up to. On Instagram and Twitter, you can find me at Irrevocably Sarah. And you can also catch me on my blog, What Have I Done? Alrighty, storytellers, that wraps up our entire episode for today. Thank you for hanging out and listening in as always. Please be sure to stop by and say hi to Christine Riccio on Twitter or on Instagram at XTeenMay. You can also find Sarah Adams on Twitter or on Instagram at IrrevocablySarah. To find all the resources and books mentioned in Christine's episode, along with tweetable quotes and the timestamps of highlights throughout our entire conversation, head on over to Christine's show notes page at 88cupsoftea.com slash podcast slash Christine dash Riccio. For any of you who are looking for an online space that's super intimate and you want to get to know each other and you'd love to meet fellow storytellers from our community, head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash 88 cups of tea to join our private Facebook group. Have a super productive week and I'll catch you not next Thursday, but the one after that.